we're in this fine line of war. So you have to really pick and choose what you're going to do to this country. Because if you stop everything to this country, people are going to die. Regardless of if it's with bullets or what people are, a lot of people are, are, going, are going to die. Oh, I gotta go. I've been working, told them please don't hit my phone. I'm in my zone, bruh, just leave me alone. Was on the road, but I swear I'm coming home. Now the drinks on me, I think we need a toast. See, I did it for me. Now my old friends calling, told them nothing's for free. Told me time is money, dog, swear I paid on my fees. I was starving for this day, now my fan, they can't eat. It can be tough to transition from a student to a professional nurse. I remember when I passed my NCLEX and started my first job, I noticed a lot of differences in clinical versus bedside. That is why I want to tell you about the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare. HCA Healthcare's nurse residency program supports newly graduating nursing students at the early stages of their careers. Develop critical thinking skills through hands-on clinical experience with the help of a strong community of nurses. Plus, Nursing residents get access to a range of opportunities to learn, including specialists in ER, critical care, and in surgical services. Not only that, HCA Healthcare's nurse residency program comes with other great benefits like tuition reimbursement, student loan assistance, and a 401k match. Build a foundation for your career at any of the HCA Healthcare's 184 hospitals across 19 states. Students who are preparing to graduate and recent grads are eligible to apply to the nurse residency program by visiting careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare, an equal opportunity employer. Hey everyone, welcome to another Cup of News episode with your hosts, Peter and Matt here. Thank you everyone for tuning in and joining us, listening, taking time out of your day to chat with us. We appreciate you guys. And throughout the episode, if you feel like you found value in this episode, please give it a like, comment, subscribe, or hit the five stars on Apple, Spotify. This is what grows us as a channel, motivates us to keep on producing this high-quality content. So, yeah, thank you. And any updates for us, cupofnurses.com. Everything is there. Our website looks clean. The shop, the merch, the new merch for Cup of Nurses that we're wearing for March looks clean and we're gonna have some new designs coming out in April and every single month moving forward because that's what we do here at the Cup of Nurses and Frontline Warriors for anything related to consciousness then also Pronto the revolutionary app that's going to innovate healthcare industries coming very very soon we're working diligently on it sometime in April I hear a little bird told me right (laughs) anyways Pete how you doing I'm thrilled for this episode because we always talk about some cool stuff especially some breaking news what's up another great episode today for you guys due to the ongoing conflict in europe we are doing a special episode on the conflict going on in ukraine uh, russia is undergoing an attack on ukraine and attempting to seize control of its of its country and expand its, its borders so just to take take a look back uh we we have done a few of these couple news episodes uh with some predictions and some ideas on why certain things happen and we are accurate. Yep, and not to uh, stroke our ego here, but a lot of our predictions did come true. Like so in we'll 2020, give, if we'll you give go, ourselves credit here. If you go on our episodes in like 2020 and 
the whole pandemic thing, you look some things up, well, our predictions were what we thought where things are going, it, it took place. Yeah. And even our health stuff is, is the same thing. Like when we talk about intermittent fasting, then like six months later, there was an intermittent fasting trend going on. Global. Different kinds of like cancer things. We, 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 we are ahead of the game on a lot of these topics, which is interesting to, to see. And I'm not saying we're never wrong, but I feel like we make pretty good hypothesis and we pick, we like take a lot of things into consideration. We do a lot of uh, research on these episodes, and this is, this is why a lot of, a lot of times we're, we're right. And, and we, and it's cool. Yeah. And it's cool because like it's not the fact that we're right. It's not the cool part. The cool part is like looking up stuff, doing the research, and trying to make your own your your own hypothesis about these things and, and theories on why the thing happens. And you try to figure out what's the actual reason. And it's just interesting because we each have our own biases as as people as as humans and it's good to be able to learn how to put your own biases aside and then with with that being said and that being done you're able to kind of figure out why things actually happen because once you limit those biases you could actually take a full picture view on a whole situation and not getting too emotionally involved or or having your preferences based on like your your past experiences and i think when you take like a bird's eye view of that and try to eliminate your bias, you get a, the full perception and you're able to make a, a better prediction. Just like, because men are nurses, for those of you who don't know, and same thing goes goes in nursing. If you get too fixated on one theory or or trying to almost prove yourself right, that becomes an issue. Because the best thing to do, to the best way to figure out what's going on with your patient and to cure him or help him out of their difficult situation is to take a bird's eye view. You can't be too targeted. You have to first take a bird's eye view, a big look at the, the clinical picture, and then you could slowly narrow down certain situations. Is it a liver issue? Is it a kidney issue? Is it a heart issue? One by one and not really looking at, well, you have to look at your past, but not really get too involved in like one system. That's the beauty of this whole research. And that's to go off on a tangent off the rip. Yeah. And that's why I love this show and what we do is because any single topic we have, whether it's Ukraine or Russia now, previous topics, we always have an unpolarized view. We look at everything. And just like you said, we take the full perspective and we try to give you guys the best way to judge your own, to use your own judgment on the scenario based on what we provide as information that's hopefully unbiased for most of it. And you create your own um, pers- perspective on it. And that's important because I want everybody to cultivate that ability to just create an own opinion. And it's okay to own that truth mm. because we didn't agree to something. We kind of... Uh, went through the tribulations in 2020 and, and that was our truth and whatever it is and you should do the same whether you have if you think you have a different opinion on things hold on to that and then kind of going back to Ukraine and Russia it's crazy how all of a sudden all the eyeballs are on this topic we're kind of recording two weeks out of when this episode airs so everything that might be up to par as far as information but what's going on there's been an invasion for over a week and there's a lot of sanctions and the world is speaking up on what's happening. It's definitely some troubling times. We go from one crazy issue being a pandemic to what it seems like almost the brink of war. But to give you guys a little bit of a geography and a little bit of a history lesson, quick synopsis on Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is the second largest European country after Russia. So to give you guys a perspective on the, the size, it's bigger than Poland, it's bigger than all the other, it's bigger than Germany, it's bigger than all the other European countries besides Russia. As you guys know, Russia is really, a really, really big country, but a lot of it's in, in, uninhabitable and a lot of it's frozen over. So only the western part of Russia is actually the, 
the, the primary focus of where Russian people, people live. Uh, Ukraine also shares its borders with Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, and Moldova. Uh, Ukraine also has a coastline along the Sea of Azov and the Black Sea, which makes it a very strategic uh, location because it does have access to, to the Black Sea, which is a very important sea in the European area. Uh, after the Russian Revolution, a Ukrainian national movement for self-determination emerged and was internationally recognized as Ukrainian's People Republic on the 23rd of June in 1917. So Ukraine got its independence and actually was recognized as, as, a, as a country in 1917. So it's been around for quite a long time. In 1922, the Ukrainian SSR helped establish the Soviet Union. So at one point in time, Ukraine was actually part of the Soviet Union back in the, in the Cold War era. And then eventually Ukraine then got its independence back again in 1991 after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. So Ukraine actually has a really, really long history. It's really big history. It's very much tied into Russian history, uh, very closely aligned. Their languages are, are, are pretty similar. But then again, it, it is its own own country. Um, and it being its own country, countries don't like to get taken over by other countries. These borders are established for a reason. Same way, um, take if, if like Canada decided to invade Washington or Maine, you'd be kind of upset, even though maybe Canada says like, hey, we have a claim on this, on this land because of this, this, and this. Or maybe they just, they just do it because, of, because they want to. You get naturally upset. Yeah, and European history is confusing. It's, it's, yeah. I, I'm European, and sometimes it's hard to understand everything because back in the day like just like poland was off the map literally on one side is germany and russia they're divided to there was like a whole petition to remove us off the map for over 100 years and it was austro-hungarian world war one started a bunch of countries got involved russia and that pushed a lot of things to do like a treaty and world war ii happened and then you have the fall of the soviet union and finally in 1991 the soviet union um this alludes or uh, dissolved and Ukraine became an independent mm. um, country. And this is just a few decades. And what's interesting about every, this whole entire war and everything happening is that there's parts of Ukraine that were pro-Russian that still belong to Russia, that basically treaty was okay to sign and this is other people's land. So this is the big discussion that um, Ukraine and Ukrainian people are a lot more Russian than anything else. Mm. Uh, not to say that that's not okay to um, invade a country. We're just going into like the history and to understand the perspective of maybe why the, um, it's the Russians are being so aggressive towards that. So we're just painting the full spectrum because it's not just a one-sided coin of an evil uh, dictator overtaking a mm. country. There's a lot more history and background. Uh, but as you know, United States, we're like the police state of the whole entire world, so we have to kind of dip our fingers into everything. Um, but because that happens, there's only a one-sided picture that gets shown in public and in mainstream media just to push the agenda of what should happen. If we want to be pro a specific country, well, we have to show information to to show that point, and that's it. just how the world works, unfortunately. Yep. And when you bring up uh, Kiev, which is the, the capital of Ukraine, things get a little bit more more foggy and murky because uh, where Kiev is located, that has said to be the birth, birthplace of, of Russia and the start of the, the Russian empire, you could say, and the Russian, a Russian country. Uh, so naturally, that being in Ukraine and Ukraine thinking about joining NATO uh, becomes an issue because the Russian people feel that that um, 
if Ukraine should be aligned with somebody directly, they should be aligned with Russia, given its its uh, deep roots with Russian history. So it's almost like the Russian people are feeling betrayed that that Ukraine is deciding to partner with NATO and deciding to kind of ignore um, Russian, you could say, political values and and, and the history of it. So um, basically, the little story is that uh, Moscow's ruling establishment feels so emotional because the first Russian state called Kievan Rus was established in Kiev 12 centuries ago. Even the name of Russia originated in the name with this loose confederation of Eastern Slavic, Baltic, and Finnic nations. Uh, Rurik, the founding leader of the Kievan Rus dynasty, has been considered one of the godfathers of the Russian state. So with, with that being said, this is very... This has very, very deep roots in, in, in Russian history because literally Russia was founded in Kiev and now that now that is part of Ukraine, which Russia was okay with. But now since Ukraine wants to join NATO, this becomes an issue because Russia thinks that Ukraine having its roots in Russian history should be more aligned with, with, uh, with uh, Russia. Because for those that don't know, NATO is a North American... Trade organization, trade, trade organization, yeah. NATO, North American trade organization, where um, most of Europe, the United States have have like an alliance going on that they they help each other, they help each other militarily, and given Ukraine's strategic location, it borders Russia, so having a big NATO presence pushes the United States' interest into Ukraine as well and kind of pushes our Russian interest because given the present that we have and the times we live in, it seems to be like the ruling party of the United States of America is uh, anti-Russian in, yeah. in a sense. And if you like. look at NATO, NATO was created after the fall of the Soviet mm-hmm. Union in 1992. So if you have a treaty that's against a country that was created and now that country is part of that alliance that's a couple hundred miles away from Moscow... That becomes a problem to your, um, to your defense mm-hmm. as as a country. I don't know if I want to get into this now because I was gonna start talking about okay. Yeah. Before we get into this, because I was, I was I'm already ready to go ham. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where does like this Russian aggression start? So Russia has been aggressive with shifting its borders for like the past decade. Uh, so ever since the the dissolution of the Soviet Union and kind of the breakdown of the KGB. You could say some other people still think that KGB still exists, just under a different name, which makes a lot of sense. But it it, it could kind of say it got this Cold War thing got reignited in, in 2014 uh, with Crimea. Um, Russia came in and annexed Crimea from Ukraine in 2014. Um, but the world and the nation still see Crimea as uh, part of Ukraine. Yeah, even there's like separatists there and mm-hmm. it's mainly pro-Russian. Yeah. So it's a little, little bit confusing, a little bit sticky. Uh, who does Crimea actually belong to or what? But now, given modern times, Russia has stepped in beyond Crimea. They're into other cities and towns in Ukraine. So they started like a full-on invasion almost at a certain point. So why did Russia attack Ukraine? There's a lot of speculation involved behind this. Uh, some people think it's a it's a power grab slash land grab by Vladimir Putin, which is uh, the president, you could say, of of um, of, of Russia. Uh, some people say that he wants to bring back the Soviet Union uh, countries that are, that are part of it. So that's 
a few countries Part of the process and yeah a few countries in Europe that belong to it at one point he wants to regain that that land so there's a lot of speculation but the first one I want to go over is natural resources so Ukraine has an abundance of the most available resources that exist uh, on on the earth uh, natural gas is a really big one uh, that they have so natural gas is very interesting because when I was doing some research is that they have their um, res- oil reserves and their natural gas reserves are very untapped in that country. So whoever kind of gets access to that and once the Ukraine actually gets involved in this and getting oil and natural gas, they have, they have one of the largest natural gas and, and oil production capabilities in all of Europe. Wow. So this is a, a very important place for natural gas and, and, and oil for both Europe uh, and United States because there's there's NATO around so there's pipelines that go in there and it's and it's a very big oil natural gas interest yeah and it's for your benefit as a country to economically not enslave a country but make you dependent on it for example if Germany Germany's a large consumer of Russia's natural gases if your country depends on 55% of the natural gases and now you have to create sanctions against that country so now you can't export your natural resource from Russia because you're trying to economically hurt them. It's a big problem. You got to mm-hmm. find some other pipelines. And especially if you have a pipeline that goes from Russia to Germany itself. So what happens then? Mm-hmm. And that's what's crazy is because when these wars break out and countries are in, in turmoil, you have to have private organizations that have to interfere with this, too, which creates um, a crisis, which we're seeing right now with mainstream media to the point where Disney's not going to allow a specific show to air because they're trying to sanction a, a country. Yeah, it's 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 madness. Madness when it happens. Yeah, and what Matt was talking about that pipe pipeline, it's called the Nord Stream pipeline, and it goes from Russia through Ukraine all the way to Germany, and that delivers a lot of the the oil uh, that Russia Russia produces. Because, like we said a minute ago, Ukraine has has lots of reserves, second most in in Europe. But it's they're untapped, so they, they still have to get worked on. The amount of of oil there is a lot. It's just that it take it's much easier for Ukraine to just get it from from Russia. But that's relying on Russia. So, yeah. but with that pipeline, um, Ukraine makes seven billion dollars off that pipeline, just uh, just for allowing it to be going through the country, which is which is wild. Which which then is a very interesting situation because if Ukraine's getting its oil, like you mentioned, if Ukraine's getting their oil from Russia. And, and Russia's invading Ukraine, then is Russia not giving Ukraine oil? Or is it still like a, hey, war's going on, but business is business. We'll still sell you this oil because we still want to make some money. Yeah, I would hope it's business is business. But now when you're hearing the things on the internet and mainstream news is that they're trying to hurt the Russian oligarchs. Mm-hmm. So I would think they're trying to really hurt um, Russian billionaires and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and also, uh, Ukraine is a huge, it has a huge reserve of lithium and titanium. So mm-hmm. those are very precious metals for our future. Maybe that's the thing you want to conquer and control as a country because our batteries, electric, electric cars, computers, our technologies on relying on lithium. Yeah, lithium power. Every battery that you have and every single thing needs lithium. Lithium. So it's very important to have. And so what's, what's actually interesting about their lithium um, operation there in Ukraine is there is actually a bidding war and a competition going on for for who is going to own their their lithium stores so 
private companies have to come in and mine this. So right now there's a Chinese lithium company and an Australian lithium company that are both bidding on who gets these lithium stores, which, which is crazy. There's literally a bid going on for who's getting lithium stores. And then titanium, that's very important in making uh, planes. That's a, that's a big aerospace um, aerospace um, ore, you could say. Lots of iron in Ukraine as well and other uh, raw metallic um, materials, you could say, which is, which is wild. So if you think about resources, like they're very important because without these resources like, like iron, you can't have a lot of things that, that you would that you take for granted. And it's crazy to think about how important these things are and where they're located in, in the world because whichever country has these things, well, guess what? They have the building blocks for these things that we have all around us in our homes, the cameras that we're using, these microphone stands that we're using. It all comes from somewhere. It's all made from some kind of a resource, right? So if you own the building blocks to these items that people need for daily use, well, guess what? You have a greater control of the world. So it's wild. Yeah. Uh, something to think about. Mm -hmm. oh, I lost my train of thought. I was going to talk about another resource and how it's effective. Uh, but anyways, it'll get back to me. So why does Russia fear so much of Ukraine entering NATO and EU? Well, for one, it's military and strategic, like we talked about the treaties and how the Soviet Union got broken down. Um, but also what's been happening in Ukraine, Ukraine government, this, this kind of takes us back in 2010. So there was a presidential election with Viktor Vankovic, if I'm pronouncing that right. And he was on the side where he wasn't pro-NATO. He was more with the Russian influences. And when that happened, a lot of anti-government protests broke out in Ukraine. That was all on the news. And long story short, the Ukrainian government got overthrown, which was pro-Russian. And something that was pro-NATO uh, got established. Whether there was American influences, we don't know. But this story goes back way, way back to like even the whole uh, Hunter Biden laptop stuff, which, which we didn't even have time to uh, look up for this show. And just from like statistics, so... Uh, back in 20, 2013, I believe that there was, after the annex of Crimea, there was a lot less support for Ukrainian membership to NATO. After that, up to 69% of Ukrainians wanted to join NATO versus 28% in 2011. Mm. So that just shows you the influence that took place in this past couple of decade. And if you go back to Ukrainian roots and you're from Russia, you're like, wow, they overtook this government and they uh, created democracy and we do that as United States in different parts of the world and we think it's a good thing to do but that that doesn't necessarily mean that other countries feel the same way so we have to very we have to be conscious of other cultures and what their stance are just like Afghanistan and the Taliban they overtook that country again and people are happy about it mm. even though there was stuff on the news of Taliban when I was like on Twitter accounts and looking things on people were um happy that the Taliban came back. So we, we see it so much different because we're just creating democracy in other parts of the world and not necessarily beneficial for the greater good. Yeah, Afghan is, Afghanistan is just a very uh, interesting topic because because you, you can say that Ukraine is more developed than Afghanistan. If you look at Afghanistan as, as like, not to go into rabbit hole of Afghanistan, but if you look at Afghanistan's geography, it's it's very hard to have a one government control around it because 
is composed of a lot of secluded and isolated isolated towns. So it's very hard to have one thing rule everything because it's hard to get from place to place and still up a very poor country. So it may, that makes things even harder. So that's why Afghanistan was a little bit difficult because it was almost like a place that was ran by tribes that have control over different parts of it. And uniting that always becomes an issue, especially if you have a tough geog- geographical location like Afghanistan. So that's a whole nother another uh, episode all by itself that yeah. maybe we'll have one of these days and just to paint a diff- uh, another perspective on maybe how russia feels so i was uh, looking up a speech from february 24 2022 and this is putin just talking about what he thinks about nato because nato is this big police of the world now that we have and it's a branch of uh, united states and they have technically broken multiple treaties and international law but technically it doesn't they create their own circumstances and they interpret it their own way. Uh, perfect example is Syria. We conduct, conducted combat operations there with the whole Western coalition. There was bombings that the Syrian government didn't approve of. But we went in there and we still created that. Why? Um, and then it kind of goes back to uh, also Yugoslavia. So NATO c- conducted bombings from 1999 from March to June. Uh, those were also uh, breaking international law. So what happened there is Yugoslavia had uh, some kind of communist dictator that was creating an ethics uh, cleansing of Albanians. Mm. Uh, so what happened is NATO uh, and other countries so- saw that potential. Maybe it was destabilizing the country and just decided to bomb and create its own um, own government, which eventually is now Bosnia and Hens- Herzeg. I don't know how to pronounce it in English. Um, but anyways, and then also in this speech, he mentions Iraq, Libya, and also Syria. So NATO and the United States technically uses illegal use of military power against other uh, other countries. And we use the United Nations Security Council to sway decisions and make things happen. Just like Gaddafi, we mentioned before, we create a no-fly zone. He's a dictator. Uh, he wants to sell his oil and the petrodollar, which is another episode you guys should check out, the petrodollar. And then, bam, we decided to create a no-fly zone and kill a dictator of another country. Is that okay? Right? Yeah, things it's, get it's sketchy. fucked up to think about. It's sketchy, yeah. Because if, if you're Russia, so the, this is how Russia views NATO. Russia views NATO as a Western-influenced organization that the United States could interfere with European affairs. Because NATO is basically a treaty between Europe and the United States that they're working more closely together than the non-NATO countries. So it's almost like, and, and, and you know, you could kind of see what Russia's talking about and actually understand that, hey, you know, this, this is a, a feasible thought process that it's the West's hand, hand into, into, into Europe through, through NATO, which is, which is very valid, which is very valid. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then and like, last thing, I just want yeah. to say last thing about that speech uh, he quoted something in many regions of the world where United States United States brought its law and order. This created bloody, non-healing wounds and the curse of international terrorism extremism. Mm-hmm. Um, ISIS, you have the whole Taliban thing, and then also I looked up into Libya. Literally a decade after the bombing, there's still crisis and uh, government destabilization happening there. Yeah, it's a very interesting perspective because U.S. is its police state. And we go into countries and, and, and we take on wars and battles. So technically it's okay for us to go into these countries. But when another country attacks another country, 
Is that not okay? So is the United States the only only country that's able and allowed to attack other countries with their interests? But yeah, but not this not this one because mm-hmm. Ukraine is a good power grab for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So of course, no war is is good, and you know war shouldn't shouldn't I feel like war shouldn't happen and. <laughs> the 21st century and that, that we live in how is how is war still going on sometimes it still perplexes me but it, it is what is war is never good and it's never good for a majority of people only a slight majority only a slight minority of people actually benefit from war same way same way a small mi- minority also benefit from economical collapses pandemics and other crazy um traumatic issues that, that happen in the world yeah. but you gotta understand that that we are we are American, so we have a little bit of of a American ego because you could say we most recently we helped basically save you could say we saved the world in World War Two, so we have a little bit of ego on our shoulders that hey we came in World War Two basically saved the world uh, from a all out Nazi invasion and that from then we kind of felt that hey we're the country that kind of knows best for the world. And that's kind of how things always stood. So is is war ever good? No. So how can war be good when we try to attack these these smaller countries in the Middle East or in Europe or other places in Africa? Yeah. So like, where's like the line? If it, how, how does that work? How can you be a country that attacks other countries and then with another country starts war with somebody else? You said, no, it's bad. How does it make any sense if you yourself doing it? That's, that's hypocrisy. No war is good. And the fact that the United States is conducting war is bad. And the fact that Russia is conducting war is bad. Yeah. Another interesting thing to wrap that up because we're we're just showing one side. So we're very good at taking emotion out or we're just talking straight facts, right? On the news, there's a lot of refugees happening, running away to different countries, trying to escape this. Our Russian people are killing civilians, which is unfortunate. That's war, especially trying to take over countries. Um, but... Why did all of a sudden this matter of just this specific event? What happened in the past, past couple decades in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Libya, bombing innocent people that United States conducted? Hong Kong and China. That's, that was on the news for a little bit now. It's completely gone. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that's happening. And that was bad where people dying. But no one put emphasis on it. No civilians in America cared about it. But all of a sudden, when the news wanted you to for you to uh, care about that event happening there, all of a sudden it was bad. But what happened in the past couple of decades, there was millions of casualties. I don't know how many casualties, let me make up millions here, but there's thousands, hundreds and thousands of casualties that happened across the Middle East wars, but no one gave a fly about it. Mm. All of a sudden now, everyone cares about this one country and we're raising money and supporting and we're sanctioning from private corporations to celebrities like why why did, does it all of a sudden matter and that makes you think about what are the greater greater things interest, happening at yeah. play interest that the media wants you just to think about that one perspective yeah. is it just nato we don't know we don't know what putin's involvement is going into this is it just nato is it resources we could also we could only speculate how this all plays out but there's definitely more that meets the eye and it's not also it's not fair just for one country to say it's bad but yet you've been doing shit and dropping bombs and killing people too technically and then what is the rest of the world's response to this response from europe the response from the united states against this uh invasion of ukraine by russia is is sanctions which is completely mind-blowing to me how how sanctions work 
And I've never been in a country where there was a war going on, like uh, World War II in Poland and how it slowly unfolded. I, I have, have never lived. I'm, I'm not, I don't live in Ukraine, nor have I been in Russia during times of war. So I'm not really sure how directly sanctions affect people. But when I think about it and when I look at it um, from like an outsider standpoint, like this only to me impacts the middle and lower class because the wealthy rarely get impacted by anything. And if they do get impacted by something, well, guess what? They're wealthy, so they probably have uh, lots of money in reserve. So they're not going to get get affected in like the the short term. Or actually, they might get affected in the short term, but long term, they have enough money to keep them going for, for a while. Because when you think of war, you have soldiers going into people's neighborhoods, into people's homes in Ukraine. And then with sanctions, you're directly impacting citizens and people of, of Russia, people that that might not have have had anything to do with this decision. Majority of citizens don't have direct control or direct influence on, on Russian politics. Same way United States does same way us citizens don't have a direct approach to what Joe Biden does or, or Congress. We just elect them and that's basically they make the choices for us. Same in Russia. So yeah. if you put sanctions on people and you sanction their food, you sanctions on what they could import import, you, you don't buy their exports and now People don't have any exports to produce, so you're 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 hitting the working class citizen of Russia. Now the poverty, the impoverished people get hurt even more because now there's less food in the in the upper rankings, upper classes of society. So now the lower class is going to get affected even more more on food because things don't trickle to the bottom; they do trickle to the top. The 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 higher you are on like this food chain or or the social economic class, the longer you have access to these resources, and once they dwindle. They, they dwindle from from the bottom up. It's yeah. crazy. And like the spotlight is on Ukraine refugees and civilians dying. What if 50,000 people die in war, but because of the sanctions, 10 million innocent Russian people starve because of like the lack of food or money transaction in that country, which had nothing to do with any of them. Mm. So where's the balance being between for the greater good and what's right, what's wrong? From that yeah even the whole sports thing how uh sports teams can't play that the russian or russian f1 race car people can't um, compete in tournaments why does what does that have to do with sports why are we involving all that like there should be levels to what you can sanction now all of a sudden celebrities are saying i'm gonna take this movie down on in netflix and russia and like dude you're hurting innocent people it has nothing to do with these people just let them at least watch netflix and enjoy it while their dictator is doing some shit yeah, it's 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 like I don't know how this happened. I don't know how people cannot agree to the point where there has to be a war involved. It's always been been mind blowing. Like, have you held on something so bad that that you didn't want to let it go that you you had to pay somebody basically to fight that thing for you or beat or beat the shit out of somebody until they switch their views? Like, it's it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Even like, look what happened in our past with Poland and. Germany, mm-hmm. Russia, they killed innocent people. Should you despise a Russian and a German based on the history that they've done? And anybody listening, you shouldn't hate a culture that's, let's just say, Russian because of what they did in these past couple weeks. That's okay that that person is that person, not the greater sum of an event that took place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's this theory that, I, that I've heard a couple of days ago, and, and I, I do agree with this theory, that if you look at where humans were thousands of years ago or hundreds of thousands of years ago or millions of years ago or whenever you could say the 
human beings first started. So let's just, for example, think of like the 1780s or whatever, because that's kind of like a people like a a time that maybe people maybe think of like the medieval ages, if that was medieval age or whatever. But let's take like 1700s for example. So in the 1700s, when somebody came in or like a group of people came in on like a bunch of boats. Uh, that was always seen as, seen as a threat because it, w- it was always somebody trying to take over somebody for for some reason, and we've always grew up like that. And even back when we first became humans, uh, there was always tribes. There was always tribal warfare, and there was always a tribal mentality, which means we, the, our tribe is good, other tribes bad. And it's crazy to think about that because if y'all stem one, when it, when do we start separating from each other and and into like these the, these tribes if we came from kind of one organism, which if you kind of look at history and kind of genetics, you kind of and geography and locations, you kind of figure out why it happened. But but it's crazy to think that those genes and those instincts are that deeply still programmed to us that we naturally think that somebody else is naturally uh, against us because they're coming in in on our turf because that's how we've always seen others as off off the bat. Off the bat, your first judgment of somebody is always going to be as an intruder. You first meet somebody for, for the first time, intruder. If somebody walks up you by your gate, safety. yeah, you, right. And that goes to the whole stages stages of, of um, what is it, uh, Erickson's? Mas- oh, sorry, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's why it's safety. So when you see something new, naturally you're going to fear it. And that's so deeply engraved to us that because we're switching borders, it's almost like they're infringing on, on, on you. And that's how these wars start because it's there's always been war and that's the way we've always lived. And somehow we can't, unprogram that part of us at least some of us can't unprogram that that part from us and this is how wars uh develop and begin because yeah. someone's always seen as seen as a threat on something so it's, uh, it's like a deep evolutionary mm-hmm. instinct yeah but let's touch up a little bit on, on the sanctions uh see what's actually going on we even though you know we know these sanctions affect the middle class and, and the impoverished class directly um and of course the higher ups do get affected as, as well but it always starts with the majority of people which is usually us so um, one of the sanctions that's put on Russia is has to deal with banks and financials. So U.S. President Joe Biden announced sanctions against a lot of Russian banks, uh, Russian transactions, where he has disallowed the ability for people to make transactions with Russian companies. So he basically blacklisted Russian banks from being able to have business in the United States and United States, States uh, companies and banks. He kind of banned that from happening with Russia as well. Of course, it's only certain uh, banks and certain companies. Um, you can look this up yourself. I'm not going to name them. There's, there's a bunch of them. But that's, that just shows you what they could do because the world that we live in, we have the internet, right? So a lot of stuff is done online. A lot of transactions are done through computers, through cables, through wires. So amongst, so it's like easier to switch off, you could say. But so much finances and banking is done amongst countries that this does a really big hit on Russia. And it almost, when I was reading it, um, basically by just these bank and financial sanctions, about $134 billion were um, basically frozen and unable to be, to be touched and basically lost, you could say, which is, which is wild because that's a big portion of Russia's GDP, which is, like I said, directly going to impact the people because now maybe some banks aren't going to have, an, aren't going to have enough reserves for somebody to withdraw some money to buy food. Yeah, and it's wild. Especially if the ruble, the Russian currency, is falling underneath the penny now and you're already poor, what happens now to that currency? What if the now sanctions go up, the price of goods go up, 
and you can't afford things you can't feed your family that, that's the scary part to think about because i have people that have been into russia and they say it's poor it's bad and they want to get out of there if you go to big cities like moscow yes there's people that are rich but anything else is poor and poverty and it's farmland it's rural it's families that are freaking on the farm with like seven seven family in the household just running a farm and as they have nothing to do with anything and they're going to get impacted and that's like the messed up part about this yeah, and even with so i'm not sure if y'all have heard of swift but there has been some talks of disconnecting uh russia from uh the company or the thing called swift so to give you a synopsis of what swift is swift is is something that was created to allow transaction to happen amongst different countries and different uh people amongst those countries so if you have a bank like chase there's a swift number associated and if you have like a store or like a, like a shop a drop shop or any kind of shop and you're having people pay you uh you usually have to have swift set up for that transaction to be accepted um especially if you're doing overseas uh, merchandise buy anything from overseas a lot of times those things need swift accounts as well because swift facilitates these transactions and tracks them and make sure everything gets uh gets sent to the proper places and there's some talks of disconnecting with them and swift is swift it has partnered up with 11,000 institutions in over 200 countries. So that's a big part of the world. If you don't have Swift account, you, you can't do business in a lot of countries. And that's crazy because that is ultimately going to hurt, uh, once again, the um, the middleman. Yeah, and especially the middle, also... The, people in the middle class. That's hard. Not the middleman, but the middle class. Middle class. And they're also going after cryptocurrency, which I hope that the private industry of, of that sector doesn't... Um, doesn't crumble to that. Yeah, when you told me that, should be it's decentralized. Yeah. If you're telling me if you're telling me that cryptocurrency is a next currency because it's this decentralized, it's yours, you can do whatever you want it. And now you're telling me that hey, we're going to cut it off to a country, that just shows me it's not really that decentralized. I'm not saying that what Russia is doing is bad, is that we have to we're in this fine line of war. So you have to really pick and choose what you're going to do to this country because if you stop everything to this country, people are going to die, regardless of if it's with bullets or what people are, a lot of people are going are going to die. So when somebody, when Matt, you told me that they're trying to not allow crypto in, in Russia, that was mind blowing because how are you going to make someone decentralized, which is supposed to be non-political, um, not favoring one view supposed to be this great thing that you can do whatever you want with it and we understand that some people are bad are not going to do bad things with it but it's what it is because you want to stay decentralized then how are you going to now tell me that we're going to not allow it in russia they're saying it's a loophole to the sanctions that they're creating hmm. so I, technically it is but it's decentralized for that reason so now if we allow the world governments to tap into this industry it's not going to be decentralized anymore and that creates a lot of scary things because Look what's happening around the world, how governments, what they could do to their own people that you've seen in Australia. That's scary. And we should remain sovereign, even going into the digital space, like with um, the metaverse, not to get off topic. You want to hold on to your digital identity and who you are, not sell that information off. And that's why it's so important to remain sovereign from those things, because, yeah, yeah like that's, yeah. It's sovereignty is important, even it as is. an individual with everything happening, no matter your opinion or how how uh, people think or telling you how to think you are your own sovereign individual that could remain to do your own choice in life because you have the divinity and the free will from God. Yeah, yeah. And and, it, and everything that has to do with financials and money, 
should never be polarized and never be with a viewpoint. Because imagine if you live in a world where you get paid less as a nurse because of what you believe. That, that would be crazy. And that's kind of what you're doing now with cryptocurrency. Because now you don't agree with one country, you're not allowing it to be used there. So now we're gonna ban its users. And now it's, right. So now imagine if they did that to US dollar, like, hey, like I said, we're gonna pay you less because you have this viewpoint and not this viewpoint. So now so now you're associating something that people need to survive, money, because you gotta buy food, you gotta buy clothing, you gotta, you gotta buy shelter. Now you're you're now you're taking that necessity and now aligning it with, with someone's viewpoint and someone's ideology and not allowing it to be accessed uh, for everybody. So now you're limiting what someone could, could do in their life and in the world, which should, which should never be it. You should never associate emotions with money, with viewpoints with money, politics with money, because money is money. It's something you need to survive. Whatever you do to 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 make money, it's you're taking that risk if it's illegal, but money shouldn't judge you on how you make it. It should never be like that because money is money. And that's something that we all, all agree on. And if I want to pay you for something. I should have the right to pay for something. If you want to sell something and, and get money for something, you should have that, that right too without me telling you, no, you shouldn't do that. Yeah, and that's what's also scary about that infrastructure bill that passed because by 2026, they're trying to create like a kill switch on all cars, which is cool because somebody that robbed the bank or did some crime, we could turn off their car and they're not going to get away. But what about for the sovereign individual? What if you don't pay a couple bills and then the government decides that you're a bad person for doing whatever and turns off your car look what happened with the whole um look at snowden v card thing dudes in russia now imagine if if you're a whistleblower and want to release some crucial information that the government's been doing some crazy shit and you release it and now the government has a kill switch on your car guess what you're not gonna be able to drive drive your car or if there's a kill switch what else is it gonna have is that is that because you're gonna have a backdoor of where you're driving to and from is that kill switch going to have some kind of a tracking in it where it's going to record everything every place you drive? Because technically, it's going to have to if it's, if it's a kill switch. It's going to have to know where you are because it's being pinged somewhere. And if you're always pinging something, technically, they always know where you are as soon as you start that car. Yeah, and they already do with their cell. And that's what yeah. So yeah, kill switch sounds nice. It's very ideal. But remember, by having a kill switch means there's uh, there's forever communication ongoing with your car and the facility of where that kill switch can be turned on or off non-stop forever same way your, your phones are always on and tracking your little, every every little thing you do on it same now it's gonna be in your car yeah because for that kill switch to work has to be connected to a grid and that grid has to always be tracking it because it has to know where to send that signal and you're always going to be a a uh latitude and longitudinal uh point on a map yeah that's why i'm always about smaller government and um more power to the mm. people but also talking about technology and we didn't even mention this this uh russia episode is how big corporations could have an influence in things like war now for example uh russia disrupted uh online communications for ukraine and elon musk set up starlink so the ukrainian people could access internet through the freaking satellite so corporations can be and going to start getting involved in things because of how much power they have more than other, more than countries themselves so yeah crazy well, times man to mm, think about yeah the u.s has also put sanctions on individuals which believe it or not u.s has the power to put sanctions on individuals so in theory they could have put sanctions on um the head 
CEO of a Russian oil company, of a bank, of a business, and they can sanction them. So not only are you hurting a country, you can hurt somebody directly and everybody that's directly aligned with that person is going to also get screwed for it. Yeah. I'm not going to go over any names because I couldn't really find names. I'm not going to post names online because I would probably have done some research and they don't want me doing research about those people. These are some low-key people in high-key places. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. All, and then who knows, just the rabbit hole of all this going on. Supposedly, Putin belongs to the World Economic Reform and the current president of Ukraine also belongs to the World Economic Reform. And if you don't know what the World Economic Reform is, there's a whole episode on that that we did on Isn't Cup of Nurses. World Economic Forum? Forum, yeah. Okay. World Economic Forum. So there's a whole episode on that if you want to check out. So if those two players are in a group like that that are leading, led by globalists to create the future of where they want the world to be, then is this just like a giant pony show mm. if they have the same meetings? But who knows? That's just opinion there we don't know shit about that but it's just crazy to think about and then also i want to stop there yeah i want to stop there i could yeah. talk about so much more but yeah it's interesting keep your eyes uh always open to the other perspective of what, what's happening in the world just like we just presented you about all these details in history about russia that you might have not known and maybe you have a different opinion about things but at the end of the day war is cruel unfair innocent people die and we don't think that we don't we're not pro anything of the choice of what was made on war but we just shine some perspective on this episode just to give you an idea of the bigger picture the history of what's leading to this invasion of ukraine yeah just take a look back over the last couple of years um how our presidents have reacted to what's going on in, in europe and, and russia because i'll speak for myself here it's a little sketch so when Trump was president. He had lots of communication with Ukraine and Russia. Now Joe Biden is president, and we know the whole we know the whole Hunter Biden story with the laptops. We know that the Biden family and Ukraine were also very close and in talks. And now, like Matt stated, Vladimir Putin, which is the president of Russia and the president of Ukraine, both are in the World Economic Forum. And now there's a war going on between Russia and Ukraine. But yet everybody's been in communication with everybody for the last, I want to say, five to ten years with, with really good kinds of communication. So, I don't know. Something's, something's smelly going on. Just like with the whole China thing where, you know, supposedly didn't come out of a lab. Now, it's, now it came out of a lab. And now we have this whole Russia thing and Ukraine thing where there was talks amongst all three countries and now there's a war going on kind of sketchy as well yeah and that's you know why i listened to a couple of nurses to kind of figure out what's happening and we'll pop you with the news yeah one last thing the u.s is also amongst talks with uh chip manufacturers and slowly thinking about putting up sanctions with uh with chip exports and imports Damn. which also hurts the middle class directly because now not me hurts dumb if you think about it it might hurt us as well because i'm not sure where we get our chips from. I know uh, the Taiwanese semiconductor company is one of the biggest ones, but I'm not sure what our exact transactions are with Russia and stuff like that. But imagine if some Apple part comes from Russia and now there's a war going on in Russia. Russia not going not to give us the Apple part or that resource we need to, to create this Apple part. And now that's technically a sanction against us where now my, our iPhones might be up in price, which hurts, hurts us indirectly 
from what's going on in in Russia, which is crazy. Yeah, but it's it's all it's, speaking of sanction. Like, so I I feel like real quick. I feel like the more of a shit show there is going on in the world, the more shit changes on a on a daily basis, and the more life changes because when there's a shit show go, going on. They're always putting things back together, but nothing is ever put back together the same way it was initially. And I feel like this is this always happens when when there's a when there's oppor- so with all this stuff going on, there's always an opportunity for great change. Same way when there's economic collapses, there's a great opportunity for change. When there's pandemics, there's a great opportunity with change for change. And now we have a war going on, which is another great opportunity for change. And usually that opportunity for change is a greater change in power taken from the citizens and local governments and then be, being given to the bigger governments and, and courts and all that kind of stuff. Usually what happens... Good synopsis. I'm, I'm going to have you quote me on that one for sure because I'm going to tell you that has always been happening since like 9-11 when we were... So 9-11, we were still we were at shorties. Age, yeah, we were still at the age where we were able to grasp what was going on but then... We were, we were growing, but then after a few years after that, we started realizing that, 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 hey, that every time something crazy happens, it's almost like our freedoms get restricted. Transfer of power. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we, then we look back at it. We had the Industrial Revolution where auto manufacturing was at an all-time high. Industrials were huge. Detroit was booming. And then we switched to shipping stuff overseas, which was a giant shit show. And then we had a giant shit show came a switch in power from industrials to outsourcing jobs. So now we have the tech boom, the internet era where things shifted from power from a lot of these 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 retail shops and companies to now this whole online thing. And there's always a shift in power going from one to another, from one to another. But with the shift in power comes some kind of a drastic shit show in the world to to better ease that change. Yeah, this this made me also think about the whole China thing, and it's a state-owned app, TikTok, and it's highly addictive. And if we're trying to sanction that country, we did with the whole uh, past uh, U.S. government. Imagine what China could do. Okay, if um, America's messing around with us, we'll just tweak the algorithm to make these citizens stupid as hell, and then people on TikTok are just sucked into short things that are promoting pranks, dumb activity, twerking, sexuality, and are technically hurting the American public. That's power of social media, and that's information warfare, where you could hurt a whole country from the inside out. Yeah, if you want perspective, the U.S. has a population of 350 million people, roughly, and China has a population of 1.4 billion people. So if you think about it, China has four times more people than we do and russia has about 150 million and so u.s is about twice the size of russia so uh, not to point fingers or you know to draw eyeballs onto something but if i was a u.s diplomat a you a person in power in the united states i'd probably be more worried about china than than russia's influence in europe because uh, we vastly outgrow russia even though russia is powerful militarily and we could, if we start a war with Russia, we're probably going to go into World War III. Um, but still, we should be focusing on ourselves a lot more than, than we focus on other countries and their business. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, we're not perfect. The United States isn't perfect. Let's try to fix our own shit before we fix someone else's shit. We can help them out. We can have conversations. 
And if people want us to intervene, then we can intervene. But that has to be as like a last effort because we don't want war going on in our soil. And we definitely don't want to send our people to someone else's soil either because that's that's not right as well. All right, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a pretty long one. Talk about different things outside of nursing, but stuff we enjoy as well. Yep. Have a great day, y'all. Peace. Yep.